Brilliant. Okay, Bible time. Let's get into it. Um, I can sense that there is an eager desire for coffee this morning, so I'm going to try and get through this as quickly as possible so I, for one, can get some. Um, Romans chapter 12. We're in a series. If you're a Bible, scroll there or turn there to Romans chapter 12. But uh, we're doing a series over the next couple of weeks just leading into Easter called More Than a Song. There it is there, More Than a Song. And, and we're looking at worship. What is what is worship? And I think I've been around church circles long enough, um, leading and pastoring long enough to, to know that and to witness and observe that, that when it comes to worship, what we have done through whatever reason, and it's not necessarily we've done it for bad reasons or intention, it just is what it is, but, but we've fallen into this trap of when we hear worship, we think singing. Or we think slow song. The, the song that Cam led today, which really blew the cobwebs out of this church, which is fantastic. I love it. Um, that, we go, that's praise because it's upbeat. And then when Donna sings the slowest, that's worship. Yay! That's, that's just two songs to bring attention and glory to God. And, and the Bible instructs us so many times to sing and to make a joyful noise unto the Lord. So, so that's, that's a part of worship. But when we boil down worship it is far more than a song and so we're just going to be tiptoeing through the book of Romans specifically looking at chapter 12 to go okay well if more if worship is more than a song well what is it and we looked at that in verse 1 that 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 worship is um it's a lifestyle ultimately it's a way of living. It's, it's, it's a way of approaching how we do everything. Worship is more than just singing a song. Worship is how we live our life. And, and as we unpack these things over the coming weeks, you're going to see things, and even today you're going to see things that you probably never thought were worship are actually acts of beautiful worship to God that He smiles upon and will bless you for. And, and it's going to be great. And then the week after we looked at um, worshiping God with your mind, Romans 12 verse 2, that, that getting our thinking pattern in, in, in order and thinking correctly and thinking about what we're thinking about actually is a form of worship to God. When we gain control and mastery over our minds, when we sub- submit all thoughts to Christ um, and His Lordship, that is part of worship, is controlling the way we think. And today we're going to go into uh, a bunch of verses that are going to unpack another element of what worship is. Now, in the spirit of full disclosure and honesty, um, I, I don't want to... I don't intend to. Um, it's certainly not my um, motivation to be heavy-handed with this subject matter. Um, I know it can, can easily come across like that um, for, for the pastor to want you to do more or be more. That's absolutely not my MO. My MO is not to tread uh, heavily, but to tread clearly this morning. So that's my heartbeat, is to tread clearly through this for us so we understand what this scripture is about and what the implications are and application is for all of us here this morning. Is that cool? Excellent. So, I'm just going to read through Romans 12, 3 to 10. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and... The members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. 
Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, in proportion to our faith. If service, in our serving. The one who teaches in his teaching. The one who exhorts in his exhortation. The one who contributes in generosity. The one who leads with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this word. I thank you for your Word, that it is alive and living, sharper than any two-edged sword, Lord God, that it pierces through to the very thoughts and intentions of our soul, our heart, and our spirit. And I pray, Lord, today that as we look into this Word, as we draw out the truth from it, Lord God, that you would speak to us, Lord, in a way that would not just give us information, but would lead us to transformation, God, so that we can be all you've called us to be, Lord God, that as we are with you, I pray that we would respond in kind to then be like you. We thank you that you would speak powerfully today in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we're talking about gifts, essentially, and what God has gifted us and using those gifts. So it's interesting to point out in the very first verse, we looked at verse 3, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, everyone among you, everyone among you. Now, now where's Emmy? She's of Greek heritage. Now, this was written in the original Greek. Do you know what this means in the original Greek when you interpret it literally out? It means everyone among you. Um, Fun fact. Um, So that's what it means. Everyone uh, among you. Um, There's no ifs buts or maybes, uh, Paul is addressing everyone at the get-go. Right at this moment, he's talking to all of us. As Christians, in my observation, what we can be good at sometimes is justifying away things that um, we don't agree with or things we don't want to agree with. We can find ways and creative ways and sometimes academic and intellectual ways of justifying away things that, you know, I don't agree with that or I don't particularly want to agree with that, so I will justify those things away. Um, for instance, we could say, well, see, Paul's writing to the, the first century church in Rome, so when he talks about, um, you know, Everyone among you, he's talking about that church then. He's not talking about us now. We're so far removed from that because it's 2,000 years later. So, so this using my gifts and helping people and serving God and serving the church, that doesn't apply to me because he was writing specifically to that church then. Now, I find that um, incredibly problematic because what we then do if that's the case is we start to um, elevate ourselves as some sort of divine scriptural editor that can justify things based on our personal preference in order to get what we want out of stuff rather than allow ourselves to be transformed by God's word we transform God's word by our preferences very very dangerous and poor way of interpreting scripture let me just say that from from the outset that is a very poor way of interpretive scripture and I would say would have um, lasting damage on your soul, your spirit and potentially your eternity if that's how you always view scripture and twist it so it meets your preferences. The Bible is not about you. The Bible is about Jesus. So when you read through any scripture, any this is a hot tip, not even a note, this is free. The hero of the scriptures is not you. The hero of the scriptures is not me. It's Jesus. He's the hero. He's the victor. He's the Lord of all, the King of kings, the name above every other name. The point is that that he would be worshipped and all glory would be given to him and him alone. 
And when that happens, when we seek first the kingdom, when Jesus is on the throne and everything else is not, then we start to see the kingdom at work how it should work. So let's look at this academically just for a moment, theologically. Generally speaking, um, and again, I'll touch on this sort of stuff in a bit more length in understanding the Bible course, but I think it's important to bring some of this content on a Sunday even though I don't ever want this to become like a Bible college lecture, this is, this is church, but uh, sometimes these things are important for us to know and discuss. There are two, there's, there's many ways to interpret the Bible. There's two, two major ways that I find really helpful that I learned um, a few years ago. And when it comes to reading and interpreting Scripture, you can put them in one of two categories, essentially. Now, these are the major ones. There's other minor ones. But. So is what the passage is saying prescriptive or is it descriptive? What, what do I mean by that? Well, prescriptive means that, that is the passage prescribing a way of living, a behavior, a lifestyle for God's people? Is it prescribing a course of action? Or is it descriptive? Is it describing events that took place in history that we can then learn from with hindsight looking back over time? So, for example, um, <clears throat> when Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, so, that is prescriptive, right? It's prescribing a way of living for God's people. Hey, love other people. Be kind. It's not describe, hey, just, just, that's what Jesus said to that person. No, 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 that's prescriptive. An example of descriptive would be, um, and, and there have been some Christians that would, would take this particular part of the scripture as descriptive and, and actually do it, but uh, sorry, prescriptive. But I think about Joshua and, and the, Jer- the walls of Jericho. So they march around, army of Israel, around the, the walls of Jericho seven times, getting super dizzy, and then blows the trumpet, and then the walls fall down. Now that, that is not prescriptive. That is not a, a, a prescribing course of action for God's people. Okay, that's, that's describing an event that took place in history that we can learn from and we can extract truth from and we can look in from the outside looking, okay, that's amazing, look what happened here. I can, I can glean things about obedience there, trusting God, uh, even when things seem crazy, just, just, just following God at, at His word. It's, it's not literally about finding the walls around your life and marching around them seven times and blowing a trumpet. That's not a prescriptive text. So when we have this framework, we get to understand when I read Scripture, how do I interpret it so I get the correct context and meaning out of it? And some Christians may look at this and go, okay, well, this is, this is descriptive. It's just describing what, what Paul was writing to the church in the first century. Well, if that's the case, let's go to the next step on interpreting Scripture um, and, and, and let's use Scripture to interpret scripture, to, to decide whether it is prescriptive or descriptive. So, this passage is talking about Romans 12, about our gifts, and about serving, and about being active in God's kingdom, and active about God's business. So let's see what, what the rest of scripture says. 1 Peter 4.10, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. Okay. One Timothy four fourteen. Do not neglect the gift you have. What does that mean? It means use the gift God's given you. If I give my children a gift on their birthday, and they put that gift 
in the side of the room and it just sits there and never gets used. They have neglected the gift that I have given them, which was supposed to be used and enjoyed to maximize their life. Like, so use that flame torch, Oak. Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, Work heartily as for the Lord. Ephesians 2.10, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which He prepared beforehand that we should walk in. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12.7, To each of us is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good of other people. So, so using Scripture to interpret Scripture gives us a clearer understanding of what that actually means. So Romans 12.3-10 is not descriptive it's not describing just something that happened with the church in rome that paul was addressing then no, no, it is prescribing because we can see a consistent theme all the way through the scriptures that talk about god's gifted you what are you going to do with it god's given you something are you going to use it don't neglect it it's for the common good god's put something in you that you need to use and god's called you to use it what are you going to do about it this is prescriptive scripture have i lost you i hope not the flip side is when, when people know they've been given a gift and are more than happy to use that gift. And they'll do whatever, they'll serve, they'll, 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 they'll give. They'll, but they do that in such a way that it sort of builds their ego. It makes them look good, feel good appear good to other people so they're happy to serve happy to be there early happy to do the thing happy to have the microphone happy to jump in but really all they're doing is drawing people to themselves making people depend on them and and because it sort of fills some need inside of them that that is, is a void and so they just throw themselves wholeheartedly with the wrong motive or intention paul also addresses this at the very start don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to but think with sober judgment in other words, don't get drunk on your own ego. Allow sobriety to enter your self-esteem, that you think of yourself in a, in, a, in a correct manner. The irony is, the, the only reason we are who we are, the only reason we have the gifts we have, is because of the measure of faith and the giftedness that God himself has assigned to us in verse 3. So it's all because of him. So when we make it about us, it's like, mm, no, that's the only reason we are able to do what we do is because of the gift that he's given us. So let's use it for his glory. So here's the thing. Your gift... whatever that is, and you might have multiple gifts... Your gift is a unique portal that God has given you to infiltrate this world with His love. Your gift is not just to serve a task. It's not just to meet a need. It's far greater than that. Your gift and my gift is God's unique portal that He's given us so that we can get into the world and infiltrate it with His love, with His grace with his mercy. So that gives far more meaning to when we serve than just, oh, I've got to do it because it's got to be done. So I'm bringing the love of God to a world that desperately needs it. So my question would be, what, what are your gifts? 
What's God put in you? And I think so often, I was talking to Anna about this the other day, like we spend a lot of time trying to discern what the gifts are in our life. Oh, I don't, I don't really know what a gift is. And I might if I do this gift-based ministry course, if I do this. And, uh, and we can spend so much time just teetering around trying to discern what our giftings are, what we're good at, what we, how we can help, what we can do. That <coughs> the point really isn't to spend all that time discerning, but the point is to just do stuff. Like, I think all of us got the baseline gift of whatever it takes, right? Oh, that, that needs to be, you don't need to discern a gift to vacuum the floor there. You don't need to discern what your spiritual gift is to say good day to someone at the front door. You don't need a spiritual gift to, um, you know, help someone load their groceries in the car. Like, it's just, there's this baseline, let's just be about God's kingdom. And in the doing, that we start to get more clarity in, in what actually are we gifted at? What brings us joy? What brings us maximum impact uh, in other people's lives through what unique gift that we actually have? Um, it lists seven here. It lists prophecy, service, teaching, encouragement, giving. Um, so that's giving that's above and beyond the tithe. The tithe is at the baseline entry level. Um, this is like people who are, are gifted by God to create significant wealth that actually can fund kingdom business, which is amazing. Um, leadership, mercy. But these, these lists is not exhaustive. This is not like the, the full list of, and gamut of gifts that God gives. It's an example of what they could be, and there's far more um, as much as there is people on this planet. Um, hmm. See, I would argue that when we use our gift, what we see as work, God sees as worship. So, let me give you a real example of this. Um, so we have in our church uh, a very gifted horticulturalist that um, is brilliant at their job. And it's a gift. They've got the old green thumb. And you might think, well, how? how this person might think, well, how do I use this gift? This is, I'm, this is what I'm gifted at. I can do really, really well. I've got skill set. Well, if you walked in today, you would have noticed how incredibly manicured our front hedge is. You would have noticed that the front lawn is beautifully mowed. You would have noticed the flourishing, if you haven't been out the back yet, in the courtyard, all the plants are healthy and alive and flourishing. The weeds are all removed and pesticided and killed and, and all that sort of stuff because the person with the gift of horticulture wants to make the house of God great and beautiful. When people come, they go, this place is nice. This place is alive. This place looks fantastic. This place is awesome. And so they will use their gift to make God's house great. That's worship. You might go, he's coming in on a Saturday, on his day off, to do all this work. No, no, no. He's coming in to worship Jesus with his gift to make God's house beautiful so that it's a great representation of who he is. And we thank God for you, Jared. You're amazing. I don't know he likes to work in the spiritual discipline of obscurity, doing things without being seen or noticed, but no, I've just ruined that. But there's so many people, other people like that. I think of Cindy Kemp, who's out on kids right now. For those who don't know Cindy Mornay, great people. Now she, she has worked for many years in like high executive levels in business in South Africa. Like, serious 
business stuff. So serious, I don't even have language to describe what she does, but <laughs> serious business stuff. But high-powered executive making big calls uh, with hundreds of employees who for the last two years, every Wednesday, volunteers to come in and use those, those gifts of administration and leadership that she's learnt to look after the compliance of our whole church. So if you ever got an email from her asking about working with children's check, making sure you're doing your, your online training, that's, that's her worshipping God through the gift he's given her of administration to make those things function and happen. Think of Alex up the back, the bearded wonder. Every week he's here, serving, tweaking the knobs, doing the thing. Comes in midweek and we've got to put lights in and projectors in and get things all sorted whenever we need him. He's like just the go-to guy. It's not work, it's worship. This is part of worship. Worship is more than a song. And I could go around the room, honestly, and I could start to name people and, and things and skill sets. And I would be here for hours because this is something I think the majority of our church gets. So this is where I want to bring that disclaimer from the beginning. And this is not one of those heavy-handed things of me pleading for people to serve or do more. Um, but what we are trying to do here in, in this church is not feed or breed a consumer Christianity. Where you come in and you sit down in air-conditioned wonder that somebody else pays for. Listen to worship that somebody else has sacrificed to be able to provide for you. Listen to a message that somebody else has carved for hours during the week to bring to you. And then have, have, drink coffee that somebody else has come in early to prepare for you um, while you just sit back and just go, feed me, feed me, feed me, feed me, feed me. That is not biblical Christianity. That is consumer Christianity that somehow over the last 20 years has snuck into the church where it's become more about us than it is about Him. And so we do everything for the glory of God. We've been given gifts to serve other people for the common good. And so, so, so if the shoe fits, I would say wear it. But I'm not saying that as a, as a way to guilt people or convince people to do more or, or whatever. This, I'm trying to, like I said, not tread heavily but tread clearly. That we are building a biblical church of Christians that follow the scripture, chase after Jesus to be with him and to be like him. And this is one area we can be like Jesus, is using our gifts to serve other people, serve the church, serve this world, because it is the unique portal God has given us to infiltrate this world with his love. And it's not work, it's worship. And God smiles on it, and God blesses us as a result of it. Well, how do you know that? Well, because the Bible is clear on that. The Bible talks about this in, in Galatians 6, verse 7 to 10. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whoever, for whatever one, whatever one is so... I told you, it's been a week. It's hard. It's a whole reading thing. Whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh, his own appetites, his own apathy... From the flesh will reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have a opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. What is your gift? 
are you using that gift? If not, is the excuse you're using to withhold your gift from being used, is your excuse valid in light of eternity and in light of what Jesus did on the cross to pay for you to have the life you have and have the gift you have? I'm not sure that it would be. You want to be with Jesus? You want to be like Jesus? How do we become like Jesus? Well, Jesus said, I did not come to be served. I did not come for consumer Christianity, but I come to serve and lay my life down for many. It's incredible. This is the gospel. This is Christian living. This is what it's all about. And whether it's helping with administration, whether it's mowing the lawns, whether it's vacuuming the carpet, whether it's greeting on the front door, whether it's cooking in the kitchen on a Tuesday for Pete's place, whether it's serving in kids, whether it's on the sound desk, on the worship team, whatever it is, that's, that's worship. That's following Jesus. That's doing what he's put us on this earth to do. And I, I just want to encourage us not to hold back. Don't neglect the gift that's been given to you. That, that we have an opportunity to, to worship God with the unique gifts and skills that he's given us. And I understand people, I don't even know what my gift is. I don't even know how it would fit in the scheme. Just do something. It's in the doing something that God will bring that clarity about what is the thing that you are really gifted at. And sometimes too, other people will call out on you. Sometimes we are so blind with our own self-doubt or, or, or lack of self-belief that we can't see the gifts we have. And, and being in good, healthy Christian community allows other people to call that gift out of us. and go, You know what? You really are hospitable. You have this incredible gift of hospitality where you just make people feel warm and welcome. You know, um, you're really good at small talk, which I'm not good at small talk. Um, but, but that's amazing how you can connect with people and things like that. So, so allow yourself in the context of community to peop- allow people to draw out or call out those things in your life if we really want to worship jesus we've got to realize that worship is more than a song worship is a lifestyle worship is is getting control of our thoughts and and worship is using the gifts god has given us to serve him and to serve this world Um, and that's where it starts as a worshiper of jesus let me pray